Thank you, Scott. It is wonderful to be here. I feel like I'm at home seeing many friendly faces out there. Um, If you will join me in a prayer. Gracious Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Give us grace to receive your truth in faith and love, that we may be obedient to your will and live always for your glory. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. This morning we have a reading for this on chapter 5, verses 1 through 18. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called in Hebrew Bethesda, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat, and walk. And once the man was made well, he took up his mat and began to walk. Now that day was a Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your mat. But he answered them, The man who made me well said to me, Take up your mat and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take it up and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had disappeared in the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Do not sin anymore, so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Therefore the Jews started persecuting Jesus because he was doing such things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is still working, and I also am working. For this reason, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own Father, therefore making himself equal to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In my several careers, I've been both a preschool and elementary school teacher. I think that every former teacher like me hopes that he or she has had some some positive impact on his or her students, that some encouragement you've given, some wise piece of advice, or shred of knowledge has made a difference in a student's life. However, at least for teachers of young students like I was once upon a time, probably the best we can hope for is that students maybe remember our names. I doubt that my kindergarten teacher, Miss Brown, would have appreciated knowing that the only thing I remember about being in her class, besides graham crackers and chocolate milk, of course, is my rest mat. Going in the store and picking it up out was, first of all, a sacred rite of passage. It indicated that I was old enough to attend school like the older kids in my neighborhood. I was a big kid now. My rest mat, in fact, was the site of my first encounter with the rules of education, and my first and maybe only rule infraction throughout my elementary school career. I was caught 
talking on my mat during rest time. Breaking a classroom rule had consequences, I learned, including having your mat removed from the group for the day and having a note sent home to your parents. I was a mat sinner. And I felt the burn and sting of condemnation by Miss Brown. Even my five-year-old brain, the punishment seemed unjustly harsh and a deep impression on my memory. I spent the rest of the year trying to redeem myself by being an obedient, overachieving student, a pattern that would continue for the rest of my educational career. For much of scripture, we know the names of the locations where events took place, and sometimes the general locations like the city or town but rarely do we know the actual location described in a scripture passage. This passage is one of those rare times. The Sheep Gate was one of the many gates in the city wall in Jerusalem near the temple platform on the northeast side of the city. The pool referred to in this text was one of two adjacent pools near the Sheep Gate, discovered by archaeologists in 1954. It can be visited today next to St. Anne's Church in Jerusalem. The pools were surrounded by five colonnades, or porches, held up by long, stately rows of columns. We know from this passage and other ancient writings that the pool was thought at the time to have mysterious healing powers, and thus drew a daily crowd of the sick and invalid. Illnesses and disease were major concerns in Jesus' day, with little chance for cures. People became desperate and were willing to try any solution. There was little that physicians of the day could do, and so legends and superstitions about various cures were common. People out of desperation were willing to sit for days, weeks, months, and even years hoping for an opportunity to be healed. The sick, the lame, the blind, people suffering from all kinds of afflictions and conditions. We know from other ancient writings that people believe that healings in this pool could only occur when the waters stirred or moved. Scientists now believe those movements were probably caused by underground springs that fed water into the pool. But back then, it was assumed they were stirred by angelic beings with the power to heal. Legend also held it was only the first person into the pool after a stirring or movement occurred who could be healed. We don't know what the particular illness was for this man on his mat, that he had been in this condition for 38 years and could not move himself to the water without assistance. In other healing stories, Jesus is sought out by the person who was sick or by a family member of the sick, dying, or dead, like Mary, who sent for Jesus when her brother Lazarus was ill and died, Jairus, a leader in the synagogue whose daughter was at the point of death, the woman suffering with hemorrhages for 12 years who touched the hem of Jesus' cloak to be healed. Persons of faith seeking out Jesus. In this passage, though, we see the reverse. Jesus is the one seeking out a particular man without any initiative at all from him and without any indication of his faith connection. Among all the people gathered at the pool that day, all of whom were in need of healing, Jesus purposely chooses this one particular, and we'll find out, unusual man. We, the readers, are prepared to be sympathetic for this man and his condition, 
as we have been sympathetic to others who have been healed by Jesus. They have all been individuals of faith, trusting that Jesus can make them well. This guy, however, just doesn't fit that mold. First, he answers Jesus' question, do you want to be made well? Not with a yes, as we'd expect him to say after 38 years, but instead replies with a complaint. It's as if he's saying with great astonishment, well, why else would the why be here? Look, mister, no one else has been around to help me down to be the first one in when the water is stirred. All these other people keep getting in my way. If you're here to help me beat the crowd, then yes, I want to be made well. Being in the pool at the right time and being the first one in is the only possible cure this man knows for his illness. He has no idea who he's talking to. But it's clear that Jesus knows him and even knows the circumstances that caused his illness. The question is deeper than it appears on the surface. Do you want to be made well? It seems like a no-brainer, but it's more than a question of healing. It's a question of transformation. Does this man really want to be healed? We, the readers, can't imagine why he wouldn't, but we probably know at least one person who was actually happy being a victim. If we think about it, after such a long time by the pool, could this man not have known his great odds against his healing? They were, at best, minimal. The movements of the water were infrequent. He had no way to be the first one in, yet he came, even with everything stacked against him. And had he ever, in his time of waiting, actually witnessed a healing at the pool? So why did he continue to come? It could have been desperation, or perhaps the man had found community in being with others in similar circumstances. Maybe he enjoyed the camaraderie and having a captive audience for his complaints. After such a long time, his condition was perhaps even comfortable for him. It's what he knew. It required little of him in terms of responsibilities. Or perhaps he was just someone who liked to complain. After all, a complaint is the first interaction the man has with Jesus. Being healed for him could be threatening to what he was used to, disrupt his circle of friends, his routine, his comfort zone. He'd have to exert some effort, change his victim mentality, and live life very differently. Does he want to be made well? It's a question Jesus needed to ask because healing meant getting off the mat to a new life, new opportunities, new responsibilities, leaving the comfortable for something unknown. Jesus said to him, stand up, take your mat and walk. And then, nothing. There is no thank you from this man, no expression of joy and appreciation, no show of gratitude at all. He took up his mat and walked away. That is, until he runs into a group of Jewish leaders who are shocked to see him. After all, he has been a familiar character to them after 38 years. But surprisingly, they're not shocked that he's been made well. No, shocked because he's violating the rules. He is carrying his mat on the Sabbath. Their focus is solely on the law and on his sin, not on the healing miracle. And now our friend, formerly on the mat, shows his true colors. 
Without a moment's hesitation, he quickly throws Jesus directly under the bus, shifting all responsibility to the one who had had compassion on him and healed him. The man who made me well said to me, take up your mat and walk. Jesus' second interaction with the man on the mat is equally as surprising as the first. Again, Jesus seeks him out at the temple and says something very different than we might expect. If we pause and jump ahead to chapter 9 in John, we find that Jesus has just healed a man who has been born blind. A disciple asks, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. In Scripture, we're used to Jesus reversing a common ancient perception that an illness or physical condition was the result of someone's sin. Jesus frequently assures there is no connection between the condition and sin, not in the case of the blind man and his parents, and not in the situation of many others who were healed. But in this case, with the man on the mat, we are surprised by Jesus' assertion of the opposite. Jesus indicates that this man's condition was caused by his sin when he says, See? You've been made well. Don't sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. Jesus draws a direct line between this man's sin and his condition of 38 years. The man's sin had a powerful hold on him, so powerful that Jesus sought him out to warn and remind him of the price he had paid the first time. In this, Jesus veers from other stories but affirms what we know from our own life experiences Sometimes pain and suffering are indeed caused by sin. As I was researching some real-life examples of sin-causing suffering and acting health, I started to realize that I didn't have to look very far at all. I could start with myself, or I could start with any of you. It's undeniable that my sins and our sins have indeed caused others to suffer. Participating in office gossip hurts the one we exclude or gossip about. Adultery tears apart a family. A sharp word or criticism crushes the spirit of a child. Drug use can lead to addiction. Our pride keeps us from admitting that we are wrong, costing friendships and dividing families. The examples are many. Although there is plenty of suffering not of our own making, there is no doubt that some of the suffering in the world is all in result of our sinful actions. Thankfully, Jesus' healing is all-encompassing. He frequently equated healing of the body and forgiveness of sins because they were often tightly interconnected. Our bodies are the means of our sins, our words, our thoughts, and our actions. In Mark 2, Jesus says, Which is easier to say to a paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? or to say, stand up, take your mat, and walk. So both this man's body and this man's sinful condition were healed by Jesus. A new life, a chance to begin with a clean slate was before him. But without the man's acceptance of his new life, he was in danger of returning to his old ways. And indeed, this man's sin does lead to significant suffering. Perhaps angry at Jesus' words and warning, and knowing full well the Jewish leader's power and their interest in catching the person who had violated the rules governing the Sabbath, 
the man goes directly to them to identify Jesus as the one to blame, absolving himself from any transgression. It was that man, Jesus, he told me to do it. The man's ungrateful actions put it into motion the persecution of Jesus by the Jewish leaders as it is chronicled in John, setting the stage for his suffering and execution. So where am I and where are you in this story? Faith learn here that healing and new life are available to everyone, no matter our history and our faith status, no matter how long we've sat on our mats. Jesus sought the man out in a very personal way and pursued a relationship with him, just as Jesus seeks out each one of us, offering his grace and healing, mind, body, and spirit. But you and I must answer the same question as the man on the mat. Do you want to be made well? Sometimes we're afraid to be healed, clinging to old grievances, unforgiveness, anger, and fear. They have grown to be part of us. As it was for the man on the mat, being healed for us means letting go of what has become comfortable. And maybe it's easier to stay in our own misery than to give up our old habits and old ways of thinking and doing, our penchant for blaming others for our condition, or not forgiving ourselves for the wrongs we've done in an endless cycle of regret and self-flagellation. But God calls us to something new in Christ, new ways of life of loving and caring for others, being outwardly, not inwardly focused. In this passage, Jesus is criticized for demonstrating a new way of being in the world. The Jewish leaders, like my kindergarten teacher, were entrenched in the rules. In positions of judgment and authority, they were so outraged at Jesus' actions and words that they couldn't see God's miracle right before them. Sabbath-breaking was a serious offense in Jewish laws and traditions. Thirty-nine rules had been developed to define exactly what not resting on the Sabbath meant. Carrying a mat violated one of those, the transporting of something from one place to another. Two thousand years later, it's perhaps hard for us to understand the fuss. But the Jewish people lived and worked under back-breaking laws and rules that governed their everyday lives. The food they ate and how it was prepared, the clothing they wore, cleanliness rituals, inheritance laws, marriage rules, rules for temple protocol and behavior, and many, many others. These codes and laws had a purpose once, setting Jews apart from the pagan culture surrounding them and binding them together as God's people. But through time, the reasons for their creation, their humanity, and the overarching commandment to love God and love your neighbor as yourself had been lost. Jesus demonstrated that God's compassion for human suffering trumped those regulations and hundreds of others that burdened daily life and covered the Jewish people with a blanket of sin. Under those laws, no one could live life as anything but a sinner. Jesus came to fulfill God's law of love, freeing us from the shackles of sin and condemnation. For eyes that would see and ears that could hear, Jesus offered a new way of being, new understanding, new ways of relating to one another and to God. Just a few days ago, we celebrated Christmas, the miraculous arrival of our Savior who came to live among us and free us from the bondage of the sin 
that we so clearly see demonstrated in John 5. It is only Jesus who can free us to live life fully. Jesus forgives and accepts us just as we are, despite what we have done. Stand up, take your mat, and walk. A few years ago, I met a woman who was weighed down with guilt and regret over something that she had done as a young woman. She carried the weight of her sin with her every day, and it was heavy. She could not accept forgiveness from herself or from God. To the outside world, all was well. She was a wife and mother, active in her church and in the community, but beneath the surface lived a tortured soul. She was stuck on her mat, not physically, but spiritually, crippled by her own guilt and self-loathing. The knowledge that she could be and had already been forgiven by God when she had asked rested in her head, but not in her heart. She laid on her mat, unable to see herself as Christ saw her, loved, forgiven, and blessed, unable to be the fully vibrant person God intended her to be. Like the man on his mat in John 5, each of us has a mat, woven together by the ribbons of our life stories, our experiences, our mistakes, our regrets, our loves and our losses, our hurts and our joys. Sometimes we get stuck on our mats, paralyzed by our inability to forgive ourselves or others for the hurts and wounds that we or they have inflicted or experienced. Our mats travel with us through our lives. They influence our actions and reactions. Sometimes our mats keep us from full commitment to Christ, to be people who are freed to see the world with hope, who serve, love, are generous, exhibit grace, and forgive. Our mats are our unique mats. They don't go away, but are the sum of our life experience. They stay with us, but they do not have to define who we are or who we can become. They are made light through the love of Christ and don't have to limit what can be achieved as his followers. On Christmas night, after the guests went home and the dishes were finally done, yes, I still get out the silver, my husband Charlie and I watched the new movie, The Two Popes. The movie is based on the lives of Pope Benedict XVI, who unexpectedly resigned his position in 2013, and Pope Francis, his successor. Two men with different views and different life finances brought together by their service to God. Set amidst the Vatican financial scandal of 2012, Pope Benedict tells then-Cardinal Jorge Bergoglio that his plans, he plans to resign as Pope and believes God has chosen Bergoglio to be his successor. Cardinal Bergoglio, who had come to the Pope to resign himself, vehemently protests and says he doesn't want and is not worthy of the position. I suppose it's easy to assume that popes have led protected lives and not experienced serious struggles and hardships in life. But in the movie, we learn that Cardinal Bergoglio is very human and that his mat is heavy, weighed down by his inability to forgive himself. He was haunted by actions he took and those he didn't take during an uprising in Argentina in the 1970s and he feel, that he feels led to the capture and torture of two Jesuit priests under his leadership. He is racked by guilt and regret for not doing more to speak out during the uprising and for not better protecting them. 
As Pope Benedict points out, one after the other, the many selfless and brave actions of justice and mercy that Bergoglio has done in his life, Bergoglio brushes each one off with the words, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. Bergoglio lived his life since those events in a self-imposed penance. His unforgiveness of himself was woven deeply into his mat, preventing him from hearing God's calling. Do you not believe in the mercy you preach? Asked Pope Benedict. As Bergoglio finally accepts his absolution, he is a man renewed, ready to serve in 2013 when he was elected as Pope Francis. But he would approach the position differently because of his experiences with humility and grace and with a keen sense of caring and justice for the poor and underserved. Stand up, take your mat, and walk. We all have plenty of reasons to sit on our mats. We feel at home with the way things are. Our self-inflicted wounds and the hurts and injustices imposed upon us by others can begin to feel as comfy as an old pair of shoes. Do you want to be made well? Even though the choice may seem obvious at first blush, Jesus poses the question for a reason. Being healed requires something of you. We don't know what happened to the man on the mat in this scripture passage. Did he ever change his ways and reach out to Jesus asking forgiveness? Did he ever realize that the Lord of creation had sought him out and offered him the most amazing gift of all? I don't know about the woman I met either, whether she's still sitting on her mat or whether she has accepted once and for all Christ's forgiveness so freely offered to her each and every time she had asked for it. We don't know how either of these stories turned out, but we can write the ending to our own. I found out many years later, quite by accident, that Miss Brown, the kindergarten teacher, was dismissed from her teaching position after her first year. Her overzealousness and focus on the rules versus nurturing her students had come to the attention of the school board through concerns expressed by many parents, including, to my, by my surprise, my own. But God uses our mistakes and bad choices for his glory. I trust that Miss Brown grew from her experience. I learned from her that rules are important, but only when they are administered with humanity and grace, a lesson I tried to apply during my own teaching profession and business career. Jesus challenges our assumptions and our acceptance of the way things are just as he challenged the assumptions of those Jewish leaders who valued rules over compassion. They were so focused on what they wanted to see that they were blind to see what God was doing right in front of their eyes. Do you want to be made well? Saying yes to Jesus can get messy because Jesus changes everything, requires us to get up off our mats and do something with our lives, to not allow our wounds to cripple us, but to use those wounds to make us stronger, to show the world that God's demonstrated his love in our own lives in a personal and tangible way so that others can see that through Christ and with Christ, there is healing, redemption, hope, and love. Do you want to be made well? Life off the mat can include painful growth experiences challenges to your assumptions and lead you to surprising conclusions about God, yourself, and others. 
can also be wonderful and rewarding, full of joy as God uses your life story to inspire the stories of others, sharing with them the grace and love that you have received, bringing hope for new life and new possibilities. Christ requires us to take action, to love our neighbors, to be intentional with our time and our resources. The good news is that Jesus gives us a hand up off our mats when we lack the strength and courage and walks with us on our faith journeys. We don't have to do it alone. Through Christ and with Christ, all things are possible. Today's message is for us and about us. Stand up, take your mat, and walk. Amen. Please join me in prayer. Forgiving and merciful Lord, we are people who want to be made well. Forgive us for the times that we've been comfortable on our mats, for sitting in our complaints and blaming others for our conditions. Give us the courage and strength we need to break free of the sins of the past and to walk with faith and courage into a new future following you. Let the way we live, work, and act inspire others to seek you to want to be like you. Open our hearts to receive your gifts and to provide love, support, and encouragement to our neighbors. Open our lives to be generous in our thoughts, words, and actions in service to a world that longs for your healing, love, and redemption. Thank you for the joys of this season, for the gift of your Son into our lives, and for the hope, strength, and comfort you provide. For courage and peace in the midst of our struggles, we thank you, O Lord. Amen.